What up? Oh, man. Okay. All right. All right. Can we just give a round of applause for Brennan just going out and just putting a sheet over his head and just standing in random fields? <laughs> I know you made the joke last week. He didn't actually do that. Our intern stole it off online. Um, <laughs> I, I'm pumped. Thank you guys uh, just for being here. We, we do love you. And, and Brennan's heart, oh, again, I just, thanks for the kind words. It's, it's a lot of pressure now. You built it up. And so we'll see what happens. Um, I don't know about you guys. I am terrible, just in general, about receiving help. Like I wait till the last second to ask for help. I wait until the moment that like either I, I don't know what I'm doing or I'm at my lowest low before I either ask for help or receive help and when someone's trying to help me out. And, and if you guys, again, have, have been around here and, and if you're not, you're welcome for this next story. My daughter is a spitting image of me. Her name is Alice. We have the same personality and we're very emotional. And so what happens in the mornings when I get my kids ready to go, uh, I, I have three different drop, drop-offs Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And a lot of times our youngest one, our one-year-old, I'll get him in the car seat and then Alice, because she can be my little helper sometimes in the mornings, and, but most times she's not. But she'll go and she'll sit with Otis and she's supposed to be like in her chair, seatbelt on, talking to Otis so he doesn't freak out. But a lot of times she's in the car as Otis is in the car seat and she's just hovering over him. And like there was one time where she put her leg and she got on the seat and she was just like standing in a car seat in the car. And so, but she tries to be dad's helper, right? And so one of these mornings, it was last week, uh, put Otis in the car seat. She went out and it took me like five minutes, which is a long time. Like if you're waiting just for five, for some of five minutes, it can be a long time. But it's like five minutes and I was helping get my older son ready and we were, we were doing all this stuff, whatever. And so I get out into the garage where our car is at and I just hear from the vehicle screaming. And there's a little voice screaming, help! And in the voice of screaming help were tears. And so I freak out, drop my coffee, don't know what's happening, someone's dying. Like that immediately is what's like, like worst case scenario, someone's dead, someone died. And it's my fault. And so I go into the car and, and I go to the other side where Alice is supposed to get in and I open the car and I can't see her, but I hear her screaming, help! I don't know where she's at. And all of a sudden, from the other side, I'm in the back seat looking into the vehicle, I see this hand stick out she had gotten herself stuck between the car seat and the door. And she, terrifying, if you think about this, it, she, she's just small enough to fit perfectly and get stuck on her knees like this with her like chest and face up against the car seat. Her legs are like this and the, the door had slammed behind her. She's never gotten into the vehicle this way before. And the one time she does, she gets stuck. And so as dad... Oh, I'm super old. <laughs> old man noises. I go and I, and, I get, and I open the door and I pull her out and I look at her like, are you okay? What were you? And then, and then the dad slash like, what were you thinking moment happened, which I didn't feel great about. But at the same time, I was like, she's okay. We're crying. We're calming her down. We're going. And then like as a father and a parent, you'll, you'll, if you guys have kids, and some of you in here might have kids, if you get to this point where you discern, at what point do I bring up, that was a terrible idea, which all parents have to discern well. But what I love about my daughter is she's great about asking for help. Even in the moments where she's literally stuck in a vehicle 
Or at night when she's supposed to get her jammies on. She's four and a half. She knows how to take her shirt off. But every single night she asks me if I can take her shirt off. It's, it's, I love it because I want to help my daughter. Jesus, before he goes away, tells the disciples, I'm going to send you a helper. And in the second week of our ghost story series, Brennan last week talked about who the Holy Spirit is. I get to discuss and talk with you and teach you about the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And what does it look like that the Holy Spirit is helper to believers? Brennan last week talked about how the Holy Spirit is a seal. And the seal gives this certain mark for the believers. One, it's a mark of the presence and the power of God. It's a mark of our adoption as believers. We are sons and daughters and the Holy Spirit is a seal marked for us. In John 14, 15 through 17, all the doctrine that we have on the Holy Spirit is between, not all, a lot of the doctrine we have and what Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit is between chapters John 14 and 16. So that's where I'm going to be camping out. So if you have your Bible, go and open up to John 14. I'm going I'm to read this scripture. This is where we get this word helper and the idea that the Holy Spirit was given to us as this great helper. Jesus says this, if you love me, keep my commands. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be with you. The spirit, the Holy Spirit has been given to us as followers of Jesus to be our great helper. And the Holy Spirit's help to us, according to these two verses, is one, personal, and two, it's permanent. It's personal because it's literally God's personal presence living with us. The Holy Spirit, He, as a person, is also God. It's God's presence in every believer, living with us, in us. It's, he's permanent because he is God himself and he'll be with us forever, as Jesus exclaimed in John 14. So what I want to do over the next 20-some minutes, ideally, <laughs> I heard a chuckle, which is the correct response, is I want to go through five different ways of how the Holy Spirit's role in our life, God himself, given to us as a gift, plays out. What that looks like, share some stories, bring some challenge, but also hopefully, ideally, some encouragement. Because that's God's heart in this. The Holy Spirit's desire to help you is personal and it's permanent. It's personal because the Holy Spirit cares for you. It's permanent because he's God and Jesus promised he'll be with you forever. For the first way way that we see the Holy Spirit helps is that he consecrates. And I'm going to use all C words because I can and I love alliteration. Consecrates. People don't tend to like this word. And anytime I say this word, I, one, never know if I pronounce it correctly. I always, I, I'm guessing on most words. English is a tough language. I got it here on South Dakota education. And I'm not very intellectually smart. So, like, it takes, like, I, I don't read words good. Or speak them good sometimes. And that's okay. But consecrates, to me, is this beautiful, powerful word that has two different meanings, when I'm, and I'm going to explain it. But consecration, in and of itself, has this idea of separating oneself from the things that biblically are unclean, but it's, it's specifically and especially anything that would corrupt or hinder our relationship with God. So when we consecrate, it's I'm getting rid of, I'm throwing off, I'm doing something intentionally 
to get rid of something that is corrupting, that is hindering, that has an effect negatively on my relationship with God. And we see this, not just language, but this played out all throughout scripture. In Joshua chapter three, verse five, we see this idea of consecration being played out. So you have the Israelites who, the second book of the Bible in the Old Testament in Exodus, they get delivered from slavery and bondage from Egypt. And so they get delivered and then they're wandering in the wilderness. And some stuff happens that I'm not going to get into, but God tells them that they have to wait and they end up waiting 40 years in the wilderness before they're able to enter into the promised land that God is ready and desiring to give them. So they wander the wilderness for 40 years. The children of Israel get to this place. The 40 years have ended, about to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land, and they were given one, a command and a promise. And the command was this. God tells them, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourself. The Lord will do amazing things among you. You see, the people of God, and it explains this in this idea of consecration and in these Old Testament times was literally a physical act of bathing, so washing yourself, and changing and or washing your clothes. And this was an important act and something to know about just these times in general is that water was a luxury. It wasn't used for hygiene for the majority of people because water, especially clean water, wasn't ready available to all people. And so the bathing and the changing of clothes symbolized making and marking a new beginning with the Lord. And so he says, before I give you the promised land, I want you to consecrate, consecrate yourselves. Bathe, change your clothes. Not because the Lord can't handle your smell. It's a physical act of what is the motive of your heart. It's, it's a command given because God wants to make sure, like, listen, I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to fight battles for you, which we read in scripture. We read the fighting of God in Joshua. But I want you to be serious in how you're going to follow me. Is this real for you? So the Israelite people take this up and, and they consecrate themselves. And the picture here is incredible symbolism of, of recognition that sin is a, is a defilement. Psalm 51 talks about how sin is a defilement. It's dirty. Literally, like, sin is like dirty rags to us. And it, it makes us dirty. Soulfully. Emotionally. Sometimes physically. But sin in our life separates us from relationship with God. It hinders our relationship with God. So this act of consecration physically for them was to say in their heart, hey, we want to follow you, Jesus. Or for them, the Lord, Yahweh, God. Fast forward to the New Testament. And what's incredible, and what we find and what we see, is that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we find consecration in him. The Holy Spirit consecrates, sets us apart, makes us holy is another word, another way to say this because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's we don't have to, before we come to church, to sing songs and worship and hear the word read, bathe and change our clothes. Some of us decide to, and some of us don't. I thought that was going to get bigger laugh than that. <laughs> but we don't have to. There's no longer requirement for us to do a physical act like that to get into the presence of God, because when Jesus died on the cross, the veil into the Holy of Holies was torn, and the presence of God now is available for everyone in that presence for all believers who've given their life to Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And so now we have a new 
identity. And one of those identities is found in 1 Peter 2 where it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. See, the Holy Spirit consecrates us because the Holy Spirit has set us apart as a holy people. It's as you've given your life to Jesus, God sees you. And what he sees is not your imperfection, is not your sin. He sees the blood and righteousness of Jesus paid for you. So in relation to God, we are already consecrated. We don't have to change clothes. We don't have to bathe. We don't have to follow the sacrificial system of the Old Testament to get into the presence of God. The presence of God has been made available to us. And he is the Holy Spirit. So he's consecrated us, but also we go through this process then of consecrating. And, And this idea carries with it a connotation of holiness. So it's in relation to God we are consecrated. And then in relation to the world and to each other, it's we're going through the process of what we call sanctification, of consecration, of becoming holy as Jesus is holy. And that all happens as we rely on the Spirit of God day by day. And what's incredible, and I don't know if this happens for you guys, in Galatians 5, Paul, I mean, a lot of really cool things happen in Galatians 5. But Paul lays out... Some deeds of the flesh, which range from division and disunity, rage, greed, sexual immorality. He says, these are the acts of the flesh. These are the things that people do who basically desire to live selfishly. And then he lays out, but the people of God, as you see their life, you see what's called the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, what's displayed, is what, as we are, one, made holy, but becoming holy, This is what gets displayed in our life. The fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. And what's beautiful about this and why, and it's important to know that the Holy Spirit does these things, this isn't fruit of the human man or woman. This isn't fruit of the world. He says, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, meaning it's the Holy Spirit producing love in me. The Holy Spirit producing self-control in me. And so holiness is not about how do I try harder at being like Jesus. It's what do I need to do to allow the Holy Spirit to be alive and active in my life so that the fruit of the Spirit just overflows. And what's awesome is Jesus tells us. In John 15, as he's talking about the Holy Spirit, as he's getting ready and telling them like he's about to leave, he says, I'm the vine, you guys are the branches. He says, and if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Just like Joshua, he gave a command and then a promise. Jesus did the same thing when it comes to us living holy lives, when it comes to us bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. He says, don't try harder to be patient. Don't try harder to to understand and know peace. Don't try harder to be joyful. Don't try harder to love. Don't try harder to have self-control. He said, no, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And what the command is, is remain in Jesus. He says, as you stay connected to Jesus... The promise is you will bear fruit. And so we live this life, I think, so much, and I wrestle with this of, man, I know there's gonna be moments where I struggle with patience and God's just doing the work and I need to be more patient. And then when I get my kids up and my daughter gets stuck in a vehicle and she's crying, but I'm trying to wrestle with not being impatient. And no, it's not about me trying to be patient in that moment. Yes, it is, but it isn't. It's what I've found being a follower of Jesus the last 13 years, is the more I stay connected to Jesus, the more my priorities turn to wanting to live for him and not for myself. And when that happens, the fruit of the Spirit overflows. I'm able to show love and peace and patience in ways 
that sometimes I can't describe as I pursue and prioritize staying connected to Jesus. And that's the Holy Spirit at work in me, producing those things in me, not me trying harder. At least not trying harder to be patient or have self-control. What I'm trying harder is staying connected to Jesus, meeting with him, knowing his thoughts, which leads us to the second thing that the Holy Spirit does in our life. The second thing is that he counsels. The Holy Spirit counsels. John 14, 26 through 27 says this, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is evidence of that reality. The Holy Spirit came on the disciples and they were able to because we believe the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible and the New Testament, the words that were written by the disciples. So he reminded them in a moment to be able to write scripture so that we could have this one day and see the words and teaching of Jesus. But the Holy Spirit also reminded them of the sayings of Jesus in day-to-day life. And what did that look like? That looked like John 16, 12. It says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. The way that the Holy Spirit counsels us is he reminds and guides us into all truth. And all truth is this. It's the words, ways, and wisdom of Jesus. Pastor Aaron said this phrase, and he keeps repeating it, and it's something I can't get out of my head. So when I see things like, I'm going through the psalm, some aspects of Psalms in, in my morning Devo time. And when I see, I'm going through Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm, and there's a lot of words of, of it says law and statues and decrees and, and your word. I replace those with the words, ways, and wisdom of Jesus. And the way the Holy Spirit counsels, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a counseling session. If you go and see a counselor, I would recommend it. I think we all need counseling because we all need help. Um, but what happens is they ask questions or they say statements to help guide us in a way to help us see how is our past and our present affect the way that we make decisions. And the, the goal for even a counselor is to help us see mental, emotional some even their spiritual counselors, Christian counselors, spiritual health, holistic health. And they're able to ask questions to be able to guide us in a way towards living a better life. The Holy Spirit does the same thing. He counsels in a way where he's guiding us and reminding us of the ways, the words, and the wisdom of Jesus. And here's how this looks. He guides us into further understanding truths about Jesus. So when Jesus in John 14 here says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Like we can look at that at face value, but how the Holy Spirit works, he's, he, he helps us throughout a holistic view of scripture and, and history of the church. Well, Jesus is the way. It's not just Jesus has shown us the way of how to live a life here on earth. Jesus says he's the only way to be able to get to the Father. He's the only way that we are to be saved. He's the only way that we're gonna experience heaven. He's the only way that we're gonna be able to experience a fullness of life now here on earth. So he's the way, but he's also the truth. It's not just that Jesus, the things Jesus says are true, which... It's true. It's he's the embodiment of truth. Everything he does is truthful. There is no lie. There is no deceit. There is no confusion. He says he is the life. He came to bring life, abundant life, life to the full. And so the Holy Spirit reminds and guides us into what are the ways, the words, and the wisdoms for Jesus. He gives us discernment on God's will, both the revealed will, which is scripture, of loving God, loving people, and making disciples, but also, I believe, specific will. Specific things. What I, and sometimes it's career, sometimes it's what degree you should get, sometimes it's where should I move. 
And sometimes it's not that simple or black and white. But the Holy Spirit counsels. So in a moment where you have to make a decision, and whether it's a big decision or a small decision, what the Holy Spirit is doing in that moment is guiding you and reminding you, okay, what are the words, ways, and, and wisdom of Jesus here? What does Jesus say about this? If it's not clear in Scripture, awesome. How do you think Jesus would respond? What's the wisdom in this? The practical way to live out a healthy life. What do you think he desires for you? Some of that is to be able to know Scripture. And another way that the Holy Spirit reminds us and guides us into the words, ways, and wisdom of Jesus, he, he shows us truths about ourselves. One, it's truth of who God says we are, but it's also a truth about the ways that we're living, which leads us to the fourth Is it the fourth? I'm on the fourth, third. Third way that the Holy Spirit works, and that's he convicts. And this is, I think, a tough one for some people. This is the hard word that hopefully is going to come in a sense of encouragement because the Holy Spirit's ultimate desire for you is to help mold you into the person that God created you to be, the perfect person that God created you to be, but to leave you not with a sense of confusion or wonderment, but with a sense of encouragement. John 16, 8 through 11 says this. When he comes, he being the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. John 16, 8 through 11 is a classic passage on conviction. And there's three specific ways that the Holy Spirit works and how he goes about convicting us. One, conviction for sin is the result of the Holy Spirit awakening something within us for a sense and a need of a Savior. It's a work that the Holy Spirit does in our life pre-Jesus and post-Jesus to help us recognize sin. Hey, here's where you're just off the mark, whether a little bit or a whole lot of bit. But in that, it's not, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get there too quick. In that, the goal is, in your sin, there is a need for a Savior. So the second thing that happens, it's more than just a mental intellectual knowledge of sin that needs to be changed. Something needs to happen. Something needs to be moved. The total person is involved. It can lead to an action based on a sense of conviction, meaning this. The conviction not only implies this recognition of expo- and exposure to sin, but it's also a call to repent. And we talked about repentance a couple of repentance is this literally means to turn and it's I'm turning from my desires my ways my life how I want things to go and I'm running towards you you Jesus your words your ways your wisdom living for you conviction leads to a whole life response and then the third one this is the they're all important but the way that conviction works and the Holy Spirit works is it always results and leads to hope and not despair and there is a difference between feeling guilty that leads to shame and feeling guilty that leads to hope in Jesus. The enemy and Satan's desire is to bring about shame in your life that ultimately would want to lead you toward despair and damnation, that will ultimately want to lead you toward feeling worthless, unlovable, and unworthy. I'm going to say it this way. You see, Satan is hoping we will take on the emotions of guilt, of regret, of blame, and of shame. He 
He wants these emotions to plant a seed inside us telling us that we are no good, that we will do it again, and nobody is going to forgive us for our mistakes. That's the way that Satan uses guilt. The way that the Holy Spirit uses conviction is this. The ultimate goal of conviction is to shape you into a better person and follower of Jesus. Whereas the ultimate goal of the enemy and shame is to make you feel hopeless, worthless, and as loveless as possible. Shame leaves out the critical step of turning and repenting that allows us to run after Jesus, that allows us to recognize the hope that we have in Jesus. Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the ways for me that, that this has happened in my life. Um, I, I used to pursue being in relationship with women because selfishly, I just wanted to have sex, period. I, I, I made myself believe that being in a relationship would fulfill some sort of desire in me that being in a relationship, then life would kind of be okay or at least be easier to get through. The reality was I just wanted to have sex. And so in that, as I came to know Jesus, I realized that's not a great thing to use another person for selfish fulfillment and desire. And so what God had done in my soul and my life was he convicted me to recognize, hey, probably shouldn't treat people, for me, women, as objects. Not a great thing, but there's hope. See, God says, I desire good for you. And I, I, and I had a desire within me, honestly, to be a dad. I, I wanted to be a dad. And I, I couldn't be a dad if I didn't have a spouse. <laughs> That's, I don't know if you all know how sex are. not going to get into it. But I had this desire. And, and so the conviction in that was, hey, you've treated women terribly. Go apologize. And that was hard. To try to reach out. And ask for forgiveness. Because actually knowing that, what that was leading me towards was being more like Jesus. Being able to, to own up to where I was wrong. Now how Satan has tried to use that in my past decade plus years of following him is Satan will put into my head, even to this day, an image or a phrase. Hey, remember that one time you did this with that girl? How can God love you? Literally, this is, these are the wrestling things that happen. And now he's doing it with my kids. In moments where I've blown up at my son, Wesley, for being a kid, because I struggle with, again, I'm an impatient person. I like being on time for things. God's doing a work in my soul. And I would just be angry and mad. And there would be moments where I confess that anger, where I blew up at my son, because he was being a five-year-old, and I confess that, and I ask forgiveness from my son, but then there are moments that say, man, how do you really know you love Jesus, and how do you know God loves you when you can act like that to your kid? You see, what Satan will do is try to shame me in a way that leads me toward despair and confusion on where I stand with the Father. Conviction of the Holy Spirit leads me to hope in Jesus, recognizing, knowing, hey, there's a better way for you, because all I desire for you is good. That's what I desire of you because I love you. The fourth thing that the Holy Spirit does is he comforts. And comfort brings with it a state of ease and freedom from constraint. John 16, 7 says, But very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, 
the advocate. Other versions say literally the helper or another version says the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Like, think about this. It's for our good that the disciples hearing this, it was for the disciples' good that Jesus was going to leave. For them, that sounded insane. I can't imagine living life with Jesus for three and a half years, seeing the things that he said. And he said, it's for your good that I'm going to leave you. And they did understand it. But we, with hindsight, get to see why. The Holy Spirit, who Jesus said would abide with us forever, would be in us forever, he said that in John 14, is our comforter. He is here to be to us everything Jesus was to his disciples when he was there and present with them. The Holy Spirit truly fills in for Jesus doing what he would be doing if Jesus was physically present with us. But if Jesus was physically present with the disciples, he can only be there one-on-one, addressing issues one-on-one. You see, God in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit in their wisdom recognized, hey, Holy Spirit, come. And as we send the Spirit, he will be the comforter that Jesus is for all people, for all believers, for those who have given their life to Jesus. See, now we all have, as followers of Jesus, the power and presence of God at any moment living with us, empowering us to live into the ways, wisdom, and words of Jesus. This happens, oh, I ran out of time already. Um, happens a lot of different ways. It just does. I- I'll share a story. Uh, I don't know if there's been moments where you guys have had, and there probably has been, I'm going to say there has been, if there's not, it's coming. Moments of just terrible despair. And I'm going to share this story because, not because I need sympathy and, and not because I want to hear, I, I, it doesn't matter. I share this story because there's moments when in, in deep grief and pain and suffering, sometimes we don't know what to pray. I love Jesus. I love God. I try to live day and step by step with the Spirit and what He's doing in my life. A couple months ago, me and Abby uh, went through a miscarriage and we lost a kid. And there were moments, and still moments to this day, that I grieve and I cry and when I cry it's not heavy crying so it's gross like there was one night I was just heat like bawling on the couch at like 12 30 and Abby came out and is like what is happening as I'm just bawling because I sounded like a dying animal but that's just the way I cry and in those moments I'm trying to not necessarily get my emotions together because that's what was happening in my soul it was good it was, I don't know what, to, I, I need to pray. I know I need to connect with the Father. God, I don't know what to pray. Here's how God and, and the Holy Spirit encourages in those moments. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says this. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I think that's beautiful. The Holy Spirit searches your heart, knows where you're at, knows the emotions circumstances and things you are going through because he is God. And in that, when you can't pray, or even when someone else and a close friend is going through something, when you don't know what to pray for them, the Holy Spirit intercedes. As the great comforter, he prays for you. Praying to the Father, keeping that connection open. And there's so many more ways. He, he, he gives us hope. He reminds us of the love that we have in God, the, the promises of God that nothing can separate us from the love that he will never leave us or forsake us. Are you kidding me? Man, I need that daily. I need that reminder daily. 
That is how the Holy Spirit comforts. And then finally, the Holy Spirit commissions. And this is my favorite because what this says is that the Holy Spirit in us is not for us individually and selfishly to keep to ourselves. The Holy Spirit commissions. He gives authority and empowers us to act on behalf of God and his kingdom. We see this in Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you are gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. We see this in 1 John 2, 20, where he's writing to a little community in Ephesus. And he says this, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. What this means is that the Holy Spirit has come upon the believing community of Ephesus there. God has chosen them for a specific purpose and has given them power from on high to accomplish those purposes. It's the same thing for us. He's commissioned us. He's empowered us as a, a, a individually, yes, but as a body and a community of believers. And in that, he's given us a purpose. And in that purpose, the power of the Holy Spirit, the strength of God is given to us to accomplish those things. We're not on our own. Next week, Pastor Steve's gonna come. He's the senior pastor, lead pastor here at Grace Point. And he's gonna talk about this, the, the, the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what that looks like and how that, inter, how that just plays out with, with who we are. That's another aspect and way that the Holy Spirit commissions us. So the team's gonna come up. And as they come up, the, the obvious for me, at least, as I'm wrestling this and talking about this, is recognize the Holy Spirit consecrates us, so he sets us apart, he makes us holy, and he's continuing to help make us holy, to live out the holiness that Jesus desires for us. He's one who counsels, and, and he teaches us, reminds us of the sayings and truths of Jesus, but also guides us into truth in, in moments and ways that are just kind of, again, unexplainable. He convicts in a good way because what he's doing he's calling out sin things that are keeping and hindering us from being in beautiful perfect communion with God and he's saying hey this in here is not for your good it feels good for a moment but it's not for your overall good and benefit he says I have better he comforts I think even in conviction because conviction leads to hope in Jesus that's comforting he comforts us and then finally he commissions us so then the question is, okay, well, what's my response? What's our role? First Thessalonians 5.19 says this, and I wish this is a whole other sermon, so I can't preach that, but he says, do not quench the spirit. Ephesians, Paul writes about this idea of do not grieve the spirit. And very simply, and I wish I could go more into this, very simply, it's this. To not quench the spirit means to allow for the Holy Spirit to do its work in you. Therefore, to not quench the Spirit, don't say no to the Holy Spirit's help. Don't say no. Don't say no. Our selfishness, our pride, our flesh, our sin wants to tell us we can handle it. And you know what? We can't, and that's a good thing. Because it forces us to rely on God, the Holy Spirit within us as followers of Jesus. So in that, right now, as we sing this last song, as we get ready to leave, how are you saying no to him? But also that I think that leads to the next question, how is the Holy Spirit trying to help you? What is he doing now in your soul? And I want you to know, we believe, as Ephesians said, we are sealed and marked with the Holy Spirit when we believe the message of Jesus. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, which says God created us to be in relationship with him. Sin destroyed that relationship. But Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension fixed that relationship. So tonight, if you never said yes to Jesus, if you, for the first time, have come to this realization that in your sin you need a Savior, I'm telling you, that Savior is Jesus. Say yes to him. And as you do know, at that moment, you receive the Holy Spirit who is God, power on high, who is your helper. For those of you who've known Jesus for a while, how is he trying to help? Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for moments where we can worship you, praise you, lift you up, King Jesus. Father, we thank you. Man, that what you do in our lives, how you desire to work in our life, is for your glory and our good, even when we don't understand it. King Jesus, thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life. The promise that no one comes to the Father except through you. Holy Spirit, thank you for comforting, for counseling, reminding us and guiding us into the words, ways, and wisdoms of Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're with us, that you empower us, that you fill us, and in that, you commission us to go on into the world share the good news that we have in Jesus, the hope of the world that is Jesus Christ. And be with every one of these people. Be with every one